Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Here's an instruction that I came across this week on how to react if you are being chased by or in the presence of a hungry python. This information was given, these instructions were given to the Peace Corps who were stationed in Brazil. Here is the instructions. Remember not to run away. The python is faster. The thing to do is to lie flat on the ground with your feet together, your arms at your side, and your head well down. The python will then try to push its head under you, experimenting at every possible point. Keep calm. And that was underscored. You must allow the python to swallow your feet. It is quite painless and will take a long time. If you begin to lose your mind and struggle, he will quickly rip his coils around you. If you keep calm and still, he will go on swallowingly. So wait patiently until he has swallowed you up to your knees. Then carefully take out your knife and exert it into the distended side of his mouth, and then with a quick rip, split him all the way down. Now, how many of you would have a hard time following those instructions? Brother, I am taking my chances, and I am running. Matter of fact, I don't even think I'm going to Brazil. Beloved, I want you to know that there are some instructions that God gives us in His Word with which we will struggle to follow. They feel like death itself. They're just as scary. I want to tell you today that the instructions that we're going to read about because we're continuing in 1 Corinthians are instructions about marriage and divorce. The Corinthians in chapter 7 have asked Paul some questions. Last week we looked at the question of celibacy. And this morning we're going to look at the questions they ask about marriage and divorce. Let me just go ahead and say this as we begin. I want you to know today that I am not standing in judgment of anyone. I hope and pray I've asked others to pray for me this week that I will not sound condemning. That is not my heart. It's like I've often told you before, I don't write the mail, I simply deliver it. I'm preaching the Word of God this morning, which I believe is the authority in our life. I believe it is the authority for our faith and for our practice, and I believe that its instructions should be followed. But I want you to know that I want to try to convey today's message in love and truth. And so I hope that you hear my heart this morning. Our text that we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 16, if you want to turn there, gives us three different states of marriage 
and some instructions concerning each of those states. I want you to know up front that we're not going to be talking about every situation, every circumstance, and every kind of exception. We can only really talk about this morning what Paul talks about, but yet if you have questions after this message, I would be more than happy to sit down with you and discuss. I'll be reading this morning as we look at these principles and instructions concerning marriage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. And again, as is our custom, we love to honor the Word of God and we like to signal to ourselves that something different is happening. So when God speaks, I don't think that we can just casually receive that. So I ask you to stand yet again for the reading of God's holy word. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, But if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves... Let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. How do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You may be seated. and May God bless the reading of his word. Here's the first instruction concerning the first group. The Bible tells us for those in a missing state, remain or remarry. For those in a missing state, remain or remarry. He says there, well, look in your text, look in the Bible. He says, but I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them, even if they remain, even as I. The first group that Paul addresses is those who have been married, but who are now a widow and are hence unmarried. Thus, they're in a group that I am calling those who are missing a spouse. But really, we we can understand the word widow there in the text, but to whom is Paul referencing when he says to the unmarried? There's been much debate over this, and I simply have to give you my opinion. There are a few options when it comes to this, who are the unmarried. It could refer to those who have never been married before. It could also refer to those who were previously divorced. It could also refer to those who are males and who are widows, but there wasn't a a commonly known word for widow in the language, so Paul says to the unmarried, meaning males who are widows, and to widows. Contextually, 
when we come across these difficulties, we allow the Bible to interpret the Bible, and this is why I choose to believe what I believe, that he addresses those who have never been married in verse 25. So he's really not talking about those who are unmarried, and it's meaning that they have never been married. And because then he deals with those who have been divorced in the following verses, I believe he's not referencing those who have been divorced. Contextually, I believe that Paul is referencing those who are males who have had their spouses die, and he's saying to those who are in the widowed state, whether you're male or you're female, Paul says to remain such as he is. In other words, to those who are in a missing state, either remain or remarry. To those who are missing their spouse because of death, Paul says, it is good for you to remain unmarried. I want you to know that Paul is not commanding you to remain unmarried. He's just simply saying that it is good. In keeping in context with what he referred to earlier, it is good. Paul is saying this would be the more excellent state. We are led to believe then that after the death of the spouse, contextually speaking in verses 5 through 7, that, that Paul is going to say this, that maybe after your spouse whom you've been married to dies, God may gift you with the gift of celibacy, therefore you can remain unmarried. If so, you are to remain in that state. Why would Paul say to not be remarried? Well, he talks about this, and we'll get to this in a couple of weeks. In verses 27 through 35, he addresses this yet again. Paul is simply going to make the case that he constantly makes that you are more free to serve the Lord when you are not married than when you are. Nevertheless, if you're not gifted to remain in marriage, Paul then says, well, then Here's what we're going to do. Then you're able to remarry. In verse 9, he says, But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. In other words, if one struggles with their libido, then they are to simply remarry. Of course, we need to give some explanation about to whom it is that you can be remarried to if you have been widowed. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, if you'll turn your attention to that, the Bible says these words, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Be very careful. Paul says it would be better to remarry than burn with passion. In other words, it's better to be remarried and satisfy sexual desire than to be, remain unmarried and be inwardly aflame with passion. Because those who have been married know the blessings of intimacy, and now they may find it hard to have that desire fulfilled. If so, Paul says, it's okay for you to be remarried. The word there, let them marry, is actually an imperative. In other words, it could be translated like this. In other words, if you're struggling with remaining pure, then I'm telling you, I'm really even commanding you, it's probably better that you remarry. You know, and I know, that you can't live a life pleasing to the Lord if you're struggling with sexual desires, even if it doesn't result in immorality. So therefore, God is giving the blessing of remarriage to those who are now missing their spouses because of death. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38 we find a widow there named Anna. And Anna was married seven years to her husband before he died. 
And then she lived up until the age of 84 while she was unmarried, and she served God, the Bible says, with fasting and prayer and never left the temple. Paul says if you're a widow or a widower like Anna, then it is better for you to remain in that state, to devote yourself to the Lord. But if that is not the call that God has laid on your life, and that is not the gifting that you now have, If you have the desire for physical intimacy, he's saying that it's okay for you and it's just as holy for you to remarry as long as you remarry in the Lord. Now let me stop and pause here and speak to you from my pastor's heart to your heart. I know that even bringing this subject up for some of you in the room today has already reminded you of the pain that you have been experiencing. And I want you to know that if you are a widow in this room that And my heart breaks for you. I cannot tell you that I understand your pain. But I can tell you that I care about you. And I'm committed to walk with you through those long, hard days. This church loves you and we will continue to care for you if you remain unmarried or if you choose to marry again. We are for you, church. Then Paul turns to the next group and he gives them this instruction. He says, if you were in a matched state, remain or reconcile. Remain or reconcile. Verses 10 and 11, Paul says, but to the married. Now he's referencing, now he's married, uh, referencing married believers because he speaks to, uh, to married believers who are Christians, I should say. Because he speaks to those who aren't Christians necessarily below. So he's saying now to the married Christians, to those who both hold faith, like Lauren said this morning, in the Lord Jesus Christ, to those I give instructions. But then he says, but not I, but the Lord. That the wife should not leave her husband. And he says, okay, but, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. There's only two choices. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. To these married believers in Corinth, Paul says that the instructions he's about to give them are not his. This is emphatic, and Paul's doing this for a reason. He's trying to say that, listen, you shouldn't have written me and asked me this question because Jesus has already spoken on this, and Jesus hasn't changed his mind. He's saying these are the words of Jesus. Jesus has already covered this one. He says, if you are married, you are to remain married, and neither the wife nor the husband should seek divorce. So since this is the Lord's teaching that Paul refers to, where do we find that teaching? And from that teaching, let's clarify some things that this might also bring up. So the teaching is found in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 through 8. Jesus said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. Then they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been that way. Jesus goes straight to the heart of the Father and the Father's command. Let not men separate what God has joined. So listen, that's pretty clear. 
But then why did Moses permit divorce? Because of the hardness of our hearts. So that's when we need to bring in another teaching of Jesus. There's a reason for divorce. There's, there's got to be something in that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Mal was said that whoever sends his wife away is to give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says that the one acceptable reason for divorce is unrepentant adultery. But if a spouse commits adultery, we're not immediately free to divorce them. We're to go through the other biblical processes that the Lord Jesus taught as well, such as confession of sin, forgiveness of sin, and repentance of sin. If that doesn't work, then Jesus says you are free to divorce and then able to remarry because the covenant has been broken. Really, in its essence, it goes back to what Jesus has said. It's because of the hardness of hearts that divorce is even an option. Here they were most likely trying to seek divorce for reasons of wanting to be celibate in a marriage. But nevertheless, Jesus says that unless there's unrepentant adultery, no one is to divorce. And Paul gets to something else that Jesus talks about in verse 11. Because he understands our sinful hearts. He says, but if she does, meaning that it's probably going to happen and it will happen, then she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. I think this applies to both the man and the woman here. Just like with what Moses dealt with, someone will most likely divorce for something other than adultery. If that person does divorce, then they're to remain unmarried or they're to be reconciled with the spouse that they just divorced. The word reconcile is the same word for how we're reconciled with Christ. We were once in a right relationship with him, but yet we turned on God, and now we're enemies of God and don't have a relationship. But Christ, because of his love for us, came and restored that relationship and made us friends. That's the process by which we're to go about reconciliation. We once were right, now one of us has went the other way, and now we've got to do something to fix that. We're to go in love and restore the relationship to where it was before. So let me help you with something. When somebody divorces their spouse for something other than unrepentant adultery, and then they go and remarry, they are now guilty of the same sin by which they divorced their spouse. If I divorce you for any reason other than adultery, and I now go and marry somebody else, I am now committing adultery. Because in God's eyes, he didn't free me from the covenant which I had with the other person before. And now I'm committing adultery, and the person that's married to me is committing adultery as well. Even if you're divorced for the right reason, or if you've never been married, and you marry someone who has been divorced for the wrong reason, you're now committing adultery because the covenant still stood before God. As a side note, if at any point one spouse or former spouse dies, one is free to remarry, but only in the Lord, and you don't have the gift of celibacy. So if someone has been divorced for other than adultery, they cannot use their unmarried state as a reason to get married. So if you have divorced because of adultery, 
that had been committed against you, you were free to remarry or marry someone who's never been divorced because of adultery. If not, the teaching of God's Word is, not not mine, not, not even Paul's, but the teaching of God's Word, and I say this with grace, I try to say this with love, the only options you have are to remain unmarried the rest of your life or to remarry the person that you divorced. Because of the increase in the ease of divorce in our culture, some people even here this morning might find Paul's teaching in Jesus' words very harsh. They try to find ways around the plain sense of the text. And I want you to know, listen to me, I say this from from your pastor, I want you to know that I love you. But can I tell you, in this instance, this is not about your personal comfort. What this really is an issue of is discipleship. Are you going to follow the Lord Jesus even when it's difficult, or are you not? Do you submit to the authority of the Word of God, or do you not? But I want to remind you that God's commands are always His blessings. God's commands are always His blessings. His way is always the best way. I can promise you that. So a couple had been divorced and they weren't speaking to each other. At a family event at Christmas, the husband was talking with one of his friends and his friend said, hey, I really think that you ought to at least speak to your former wife. And I think it'd be really rude of you if you didn't at least speak to her at this time of year. It's Christmas. I mean, it's New Year's. Why don't you just go over there and just say, hey, I wish you a happy New Year. Just, Just do that. So the husband went to his former wife and he said to her, he says, I wish you a happy new year, but only one. Reconciliation is hard, but it starts with communication. You have to begin to talk to each other. And it might be selfish and very short at the beginning, but we have to start somewhere. So if you are not willing to be reconciled and start the process of communication, then you by choice have said that I will choose to remain unmarried. Paul then speaks and gives instructions to the last group. Not only if you're missing your spouse and not if you're in this match state, but now if you're in a mixed state, he says remain or release. Remain or release. Verses 12 through 16, Paul says, But I say to the rest, not not I, uh, not I do, but not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, and she consents to, to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. So he tells us some things here. Paul is saying that, listen, I've been with you for 18 months previously on my mission trip, and I taught you many things, and there were some of you who were not believers who were married, and one of you in the relationship came to know Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. So now you find yourself in a marriage, and you are spiritually mixed. One of you is a believer, and one of you is not. So the question that Paul could have received in this is something like this. Well, do now I stay married in an unequally yoked position with this unbeliever? Does being married now to an unbeliever make my marriage unholy? Will my marriage be influenced by Satan? Does this marriage dishonor the Lord? Will it affect my children? Paul says, well, 
Jesus didn't really speak directly on this one, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I tell you. Paul gives his instructions. He says, if you are in a mixed marriage spiritually and the unbelieving spouse consents, if they agree with you, if they desire to stay married, Paul says, you're to remain in that marriage. What? I mean, that seems like that could only be a bad thing, but, but Paul says, no. He says, listen, it's really a blessing. Because he says in verse 14, he says, the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they're holy. Boy, do we have some work to do here. Instead of being worried about the unbelieving, unbeliever affecting the marriage and influencing it the wrong way, Paul says, if you live pleasing to the Lord and are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it actually works the other way around. You actually influence the unbeliever. You will affect your spouse in such a way that it may result in their salvation. Paul says that the unbeliever is sanctified and that the children are now holy. But what in the world does that mean? Again, I'm trying to teach you not only what the Word says, but how to interpret the Word for yourself. So we're going to let the Bible interpret the Bible. The Bible never contradicts itself in any way. So we know that sanctification comes only after a person receives faith in Christ. So this can't mean that the unbeliever is now saved because of this. Just simply by being married to a a saved person doesn't make me saved. Just by being married to a saved person doesn't now make my children holy. That's not what he's saying. We also know, then you would need to know this, that sometimes the Bible uses words, and in one context it means one thing, but in another context it means something different. I think that's what's happening here, because the same word and the same idea is used in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. It's interesting, he says, sanctify the Lord. Well, the Lord doesn't need sanctifying, does he? The obvious meaning is to set the Lord apart in a special way in your heart. Thus, in our text, an unbeliever is sanctified. In other words, an unbeliever is set apart in a special way to receive blessings that will come as a result of being with a believer. The same is true for children. Children born to this kind of a marriage are beneficiaries of that blessed life of having at least one believer in the home and therefore receive special blessings from the Lord because of that marriage. One reason that I can promise you, and that sounds very strong, but I can promise you that we know that this is not talking about the salvation of children or children's baptism, or removing original sin from a child who's born in the church, in other words, born into a marriage that's been blessed by the church, this never happens because of verse 16. Contextually, Paul says, if being married to an unbeliever now makes that unbeliever saved, or if being in a marriage with an unbeliever now makes my children holy and they're right with God, if that's what it is, then why does Paul say, then how do you know if that's going to actually work or not? If he just said it's going to work, then why does he say, well, then you don't know if it's going to work? It sounds like Paul's schizophrenic. No, it means that we might not properly understand the text. The the, the text really means this. This is not talking about anybody being made right with God simply by being married to somebody. 
This does not mean that the unbeliever will be saved simply by being in the marriage to a believer, that children will become holy before God because of the byproduct of being in a marriage like this. It does mean that the unbeliever stands a greater chance of becoming a believer because of the Christ-like treatment they will receive from the believer. It means that in God's eyes, this home is now set apart for blessings on behalf of the believer. Because sanctify is used here and the word holy is used here, they come from the same root. The root means to be set apart. That's what sanctification is all about, being set apart from sin and allowed to be blessed by God. In this context, it means that the Lord now can bless the home in ways that he couldn't otherwise because now there's a believer in the marriage. Paul's saying if, if one of you wasn't a believer, then the kids won't be able to be blessed and taught about the holiness of God because the presence of God would not exist in the home. God often does this in the Bible. He, he blesses others simply because of the presence of at least one believer tell you one example, when God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham interceded and he asked the Lord to spare the city if there were just 50 righteous people in that place. And then he whittled it down. He said, if there's only 40, and if there's only 45, and there's only 30, and then he got all the way down, and we read these words in Genesis 18, 32. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and shall I speak this once? Suppose only 10 righteous people are found in Sodom and Gomorrah. Will you please not destroy it? And God said, I will not destroy it on account of 10. God blesses people just because there's a believer around. But the unbeliever may have an issue with this. They might not like the fact that Jesus is now the center of their spouse's life and that their kids are being taught the things of God. So verse 15, he says, yet... If the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. In other words, if the unbeliever now wants a divorce because you are now a Christ follower, then you are free to release them to get a divorce. Paul says that you're not bound to try to keep the marriage. You're to release them because God has called us to peace. Here's what Paul may mean. It would be better to let the unbeliever go through with the divorce than continue to fight about the gospel. Because if we continue to fight about the gospel, it will only continue to alienate that person from the very gospel we're fighting about. So Paul says we're called to peace. But let's be clear. The believer is never to initiate the divorce. If the unbeliever chooses to leave, what the scripture says then release them sometimes the unbeliever is not happy about the new change that comes Tertullian he was a, a theologian that lived in Carthage in 160 to 230 he wrote about these husbands and he said that they're angry with their Christian wives because now the Christian wives want to kiss the martyrs and, and they want to embrace each other in a holy kiss every time they see each other and they want to go around visiting all these men who are poor and try to help them it's understandable. A Cape Town brain surgery, a surgeon put it very well. When asked what he found so difficult about his wife's newfound faith in Jesus, he stressed two things. He said, this is really hard for me and I want out because of this. 
She is now no longer the person whom I originally falling in love with. And secondly, there's another man in our house. And this man has all her time. He helps her with all of her decisions. She's always going to him for advice and instructions. And listen, I am no longer the boss of my house. Jesus came, came in and now he's taken over. That happens. Thus, if the unbelieving spouse feels this way and desires to leave the marriage, the Bible says that the believer is to release them and they're not bound in that marriage, and I think the same instructions he gives earlier, now you're free to remarry, but only in the Lord, or else you would just create the same problem. Verse 16, for how do you know a wife? Whether you save your husband, how do you know a husband, whether you would save your wife? Now, let's just be clear. (laughs) You and I never save anybody. Only Jesus saves. So we have to let the Bible interpret the Bible yet again. It means to win somebody to Christ by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and leading someone to place their faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sin. So how do you know, a wife, or how do you know, a husband, if when you don't give the gospel, when you don't try to lead them to saving faith in Jesus Christ, how do you know that that might not work? That's why you are to continue to stay on if they want to stay on because they actually may be the reason, you may be the reason they came to faith in Jesus. Peter tells wives, I think it could be appropriately applied, the principle at least, to the, to the husband in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, in the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands. Listen. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, They may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. There's something about when a believer is now in a marriage with an unbeliever. Now listen, please please hear me. The Bible is never going to tell you to marry an unbeliever if you're already a Christian. So this this is when you both were unbelievers and then one gets saved. The Bible is saying, though, that when you are in a relationship with an unbeliever at this point, there's going to be a greater chance of them coming to faith if you actually live out your faith. And I believe that that can happen. So Paul's given some pretty tough instructions here, right? So if you're missing your spouse because of death, he says to remain unmarried or get remarried only in the Lord. If you're in a matched state and you're both believers, he says remain married, but if you do get divorced then you have to remain unmarried or be reconciled with the one that you've divorced. He says, if you're in a mixed state, then remain unmarried unless the unbeliever wants to get a divorce, then release them if that's the case. Let me say one other thing as our band begins to come. I am in no way, and the Bible in no way, would ever encourage anyone to continue living with anyone who is harming them beating them, or abusing them in any way. Physical, physical separation may be necessary. And it may be that during that time of physical separation, it can be established that the one who's actually harming you might not really have been a believer to start with, and some other principles may apply. But can I tell you today that separation must be used for your own safety? I'm a huge advocate of that. 
But can I tell you that while separation is used for your safety, separation is really never the solution. Reconciliation is always God's plan. So have you ever received some unclear instructions in your life? I mean, you ever received some confusing instructions? I mean, I remember one time I was looking at a chair, and it said this. It said, don't sit in the chair without being fully assembled. Was that talking about the chair, or is that talking about me? I'm fully assembled. I think everybody who would sit in a chair would be fully assembled. So why that? Here's something else I saw one time when I was looking at some, some photographs at the beach. It said this, please take time to look over the brochure enclosed with your family. Does this brochure contain my family? Or am I supposed to look at it with my family? Not really sure. Very confusing. And then I was at the, the, the zoo in, in Ohio, and I, and I saw this sign. It's interesting. It says this, while at the zoo... Please do not feed the animals. You've seen that one before, but this one was better. If you have any suitable food, give it to the guard on duty. So I can't feed the animals. And then if I have something I want to eat, I got to give it to the guard? I want that job. I mean, I'm only getting free food for the rest of my life, right? They're very confusing. Sometimes instructions are very confusing. But beloved, today I'm telling you, the instructions that Paul has given us today about this stuff are not confusing. They are very straightforward. And they're going to be hard to obey. And I want you to know there's nobody in this room that could ever do a single thing written in this book except for the Lord Jesus. I can't obey and you can't obey unless we know Jesus. I want you to remember the words of Jesus that Paul says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, marriages are not seemed in heaven to be ripped out on earth. But if you have committed that thing in verse 11, if you have divorced for an unbiblical reason, I want you to know today that there's forgiveness and hope in, in Jesus for you. Please hear me say this. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. You've got to know that. If you have been divorced for biblical reasons, can I tell you this? You are not second class. You're just as holy as anyone who is married. So you might have some closing thoughts and I'll quickly give them to you and we'll sing and we'll go home. What if I had an unbiblical divorce and I'm not remarried? What do I do? I'll just go back to point one. I just remain unmarried or be reconciled. But if the partner that you're trying to remarry has been remarried themselves, I think the Scripture would teach you that you're to remain unmarried. Or maybe it requires some further conversation that I would be willing to have with you. What if I had an unbiblical divorce and I'm remarried now? What if instead of not remaining or not reconciled, I married somebody else? I'm, I'm telling you today, the Scripture is not going to tell you to divorce the person you're with so that you can marry the one that you divorced previously. I think the Scripture would tell you to just ask the Lord to forgive you and allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse you 
as He will with any sin. But I think you need to go back to your former spouse and confess your sin to them and ask their forgiveness as well. Because you've sinned not only against God, but you've sinned against somebody else. But there's a great promise for you. The Bible says in 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous so that He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. You need to hear that. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then somebody may say, what if I'm currently going through an unbiblical divorce? Please stop. Please stop. There is help and there is hope. I cannot explain it. But I know that Jesus will honor you and see you through. And and there may be things that... We have to learn and process, but please don't just on your own understanding, don't run down this road. What if I'm currently going through a biblical divorce because of sexual immorality? What if my husband or my wife has been immoral to me? And I think the scripture tells you to look like Jesus. And that's in Psalm 86 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. I think that we are called to be like Jesus. We are called to be ready to forgive. You're saying, You don't understand. I do not understand. But simply because I don't understand it doesn't mean that I can't teach it. It doesn't mean that we all aren't supposed to live by it. But if you're trying to seek to forgive them and they're not repentant, they're not repentant, then I believe that you're free to continue on with your divorce. And then you would be free to be remarried only in the Lord. I want you to know today that if you're unmarried, if you're divorced, or you're widowed, and you're choosing to stay that way, you are not weird. You are not crazy, and you are not less than. I think you really have something to teach us in the Lord. So how do you know whether you actually save somebody or not, the Scripture says. So I pray today that if you're here in this room and you haven't ever experienced what Lauren talked about this morning, that this morning maybe would be the day that you would give your life to the Lord. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I'm going to pray and then we're going to open this altar for any and all who want to come in any shape, form, or fashion. But if you'd like to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today, if something was said in some way or you've been dealing with something all week and today you're like, like Lauren, you said, now I'm ready, Lord, I'm ready. What if you'd pray something like this from your heart, Lord Jesus, today I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me. You were buried for me and you were raised from the dead for me. And I now receive your free gift of salvation. I turn from my sin and I trust you. Have mercy on me, oh God. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Beloved, if you pray to prayer like that, I'd love to meet you here at the altar or talk to you in the hallway. But now let me pray for those of you in the room today who may not know the grace and forgiveness of the Lord in your troubled time, and then we'll sing. 
Father, only you can put broken hearts back together and only you know the conditions that exist in this room. And I know that your grace is greater than all our sin. And I know that Jesus, you came to save sinners. So Father, would you pour your mercy out on those who may be hurting today? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as we sing.